The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. It's good to, good to be with you. If you've got your Bibles, this isn't part of the preach, but turn to Genesis chapter um, something. Genesis chapter 49. Um, just, just in the worship, towards the end of the worship, I felt this um, prophetically coming to me. I think it's for us as a congregation here at, at King's. Um, and it's saying that Jeremy Simpkins, who has been to us a number of times before, um, has brought uh, to us apostolically, he's encouraged us with it. And it's, it's actually written about, about Israel. Um, and it's talking particularly about um, Joseph, but it says this, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall and to be honest, I felt God encouraging my heart I think it's for us together that's that's part of our identity as a church we are a fruitful vine I don't know if you you imagine sort of vines maybe in Italy or Spain and they grow up and they're lush and they're green and they are absolutely covered in grapes they are they, they are just so fruitful and I think I think that's a picture of who we are as a community of people. It's a picture of who we are as a venue here, Hastings. We are a fruitful vine. And it talks about going over a wall. We're growing over a wall to be a blessing to the nation, to be a blessing in our communities, to be a blessing to the nations as well. But I don't know if you've ever seen vines. There's more vines now in Sussex, aren't there? Because it's getting a little bit warmer in the winter, they get cut right back and they're like a twig. And you're thinking, where is all that fruit? Where is all that greenness? Where is all of that? And, and in some ways, even as we plant St. Leonard's out, it can feel a little bit like we're being pruned. We're being cut back. But as Jesus says in John 15, the reason I prune you, I cut you back is why? So you can be even more fruitful. And I believe there's something on us as a venue, as a church here in Hastings, that we are continue to be fruitful. We are continue to bear fruit for Hastings, for the blessing Hastings. For is there anyone here from Battle? Okay. Are are there any noisy people here from Battle? Excellent. So we are here to be a blessing in Battle as well. Are there any people here from Rye? This is a bit more. Noisy people from Rye? Excellent. Make a little bit of noise, Steve. Yes, well done. There's two from Rye. And I know, I know there are others from Breed and Broad Oak and Northium, I think, as well. We are here to be a blessing, to bear fruit. And there will be times and seasons for us as a community where we will plant out and we will be cut back but then we will grow and we will bear more fruit and then we will be cut back and we will look, you think, oh, where's, where, where have people gone? But then we will grow and we will bear more fruit. This is what God's got for us. It's, it's part of who we are. Why don't we stand? Because you're definitely too relaxed.
put your hand, as Jean, I like this, Jeanette did this at the start of the meeting, he said, put your hand on your heart. I don't actually know where my heart is, but I think it's somewhere in here. Some may say he hasn't got one, but I, I have, I'm sure. So, Lord, I pray, would our hearts be full of faith and expectation? Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who right now are glorifying you in central St. Leonard's, that you will richly bless them. And I pray, Lord, that as a community, as a family, Lord, we want to be a blessing in Bexhill. We want to be a blessing in St. Leonard's. We want to be a blessing in Battle and Rye. I'm sure you've got that for us in the future. But Lord, we want to be a blessing to this dear town of Hastings. Bless us, prosper us. Lord, would your face shine upon us. Lord, would we bear so much fruit the town doesn't know what to do with it all. Lord, would we overflow, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. And we said together, Amen. Brilliant. Grab your seats. If you've got your Bibles, turn away from Genesis to Titus, which is in the New Testament. Um, it comes after Thessalonians and it comes after Timothy. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Wasn't it fun last week enjoying God's presence together? I was supposed to preach this last week, but we changed plans. We thought God didn't want me to preach last week, not in Hastings. So I didn't. And I went and preached it in Bexhill. But we did think that God wanted me to preach it at some point. So you've got me this week instead. So, uh, but we think it's a very, very important thing that I'm going to be talking um, about. Earlier in the summer, we proposed Paul Edworthy and Richard Wilson for eldership. Now, I, I'm not certain if the significance to the fact that one of the pictures in black and white. I will let, I'll let you make the decision um, on, on that one. And we sent some videos out as well, so hopefully you received those, which was a little bit of a, I don't know who they are, you know, what they're up to, that sort of stuff. If you haven't seen them or you weren't sent them, check your junk box because they could well be in there. But if they're not in there, go to the information desk, leave your email and we will send them out to you. Eldership is, is leadership that is responsible within the church for the, the overall health of a local church. Now we know Jesus is ultimately responsible for the health of his church. He is the senior pastor, he is the chief shepherd, but he has delegated that responsibility um, to eldership teams to make sure that local churches stay healthy. And so on Sunday, the 24th of September, we are planning to appoint Richard Wilson and Paul Edworthy into eldership. The feedback that we've had has been Largely positive. No, it has been, it has been very positive. Um, but actually, and as is right, as is right, there are a few things with feedback to the guys as well, which would be good, you know, things that you have said. If you haven't responded yet, but would like to, you've got till the end of today, basically, just to let us know. You've had loads of weeks, so if you haven't, it's probably because you weren't organised enough, so you get no sympathy from me. So we're looking to appoint them on Sunday, the 24th of September, um, assuming everything stays as it is right now. 
So let's read Titus chapter 1. Um, it's always good to go back to the Bible to find out what God's plan is for something. If we start there, we're a lot less likely to go wrong. Do you agree? Even if what it says in the Bible, we don't like. It's still better to start there, isn't it? Maybe slightly less conviction on the second than the first. But that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to mention a whole load of passages here um, as we go through. Write them down. Have a look at them for yourself. You can take my word for it because I'm trustworthy. But do write them down yourself and have a look. See what the Bible says for yourself. Titus chapter 1, we're going to read the whole chapter. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now at this appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our saviour. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our saviour. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and who is not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. I do love this statement. It's so funny, I think, anyway. Not unless you're, of course, from Crete. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. If you go on holiday there, I wouldn't start with that statement, Okay. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so they will be sound in faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient and unfit for doing anything Good. He's pretty blunt, isn't he? You know, he doesn't, he doesn't pull his punches. This is written by the Apostle Paul, who was a church planter, an apostle, and it was written to Titus. I love the way he addresses him, my true son in the faith. He wasn't just an acquaintance. They had lived life together, my true son in the faith. And Paul sent this letter because he was no longer on Crete, he sent it to Titus with two main objectives, put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. 
He wanted elders in every town or church because we're going, as we're going to see, healthy eldership is essential if you're going to grow a healthy church. And in this letter, we find the qualifications for healthy eldership. There's also, you'll notice, quite a strong rebuke for false teachers who were plaguing the church. And in some ways, you could say even, and I think it's, it's fair to say it from this passage, Part of the reason Paul wanted elders in the church at Crete was to deal with the false teachers that were coming in and plaguing the church. It's sort of like two sides of the same coin. It's also worth reading 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're not going to read it now because of time, but but make a note of that. 1 Timothy chapter 3, have a read of it um, in your own time. It's a parallel passage that pretty much lists the same qualifications for eldership, to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, as it does to Titus, who is in Crete. And there's about 200 miles difference between these two churches. And I think it's safe to say, and I think most commentators would say, that these qualifications for eldership were universal, not not location specific. And that's really, really important for us to understand. The sorts of things we're looking at are timeless when it comes to eldership. It's also important to understand in this passage that there are two different words that are used, both meaning eldership. So in verse 5, it talks about elders. And in verse 7, it talks about overseers. They're different words, but they're talking about the same office. In 1 Peter 5 verse 2, they're also called shepherds. And in other bits of the Bible, such as Hebrews 13, 7, they're called leaders. Although not in every instance when leadership is mentioned, is it referring to eldership? There is other forms of leadership within the local church other than elders. And in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, the gift of teaching there is referring to elders as well. But not every time the gift of teaching is used, is it referencing elders? So I wanted to communicate there are a number of words that describe the same office but maybe different aspects of it so that sort of makes sense so when you're reading the new testament you'll understand what is going on there so back to titus we're going to focus mainly on about four or five verses in the middle of that passage that we read and we can group the qualifications for eldership into three or under three main headings first one is this they're to be blameless in marriage and family they're to be blameless in character and conduct and they're to guard biblical truth Let's pick up the first one, blameless in marriage and family life. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household. Logic goes like this. The church is God's family, it's God's household. And so the first set of qualifications for eldership are linked around family. Does that make sense? You don't have to, I do not believe you have to be married to be an elder, but the qualifications are linked around the family setting. Although it says here that an elder is to be blameless, please do not equate that to perfection. You know that already. You've got myself, Steve and Sam as elders. We are not perfect, but there are high standards when it comes to marriage and family life. An elder should have a good marriage. No two marriages are the same, but husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church, or at least aim at that. 
I mean, truth is we all fall short of it, but that is our starting point. And for instance, if an elder were unfaithful to his wife, he would be stood down from being an elder. We would stand him down. He has disqualified himself because of what he's done there. If there was abuse in the family home, of course, an elder would be stood down. That is unacceptable. I mean, that is wrong in any setting. But the private and the public is linked. It always is in Christian leadership. We do not take our cues from the world that disconnects private and public and says it doesn't matter what your private life is like, we're only going to judge you on your public behaviour. No, they are joined, they are joined together. The family should reflect what the Bible teaches about parents and children. We're not looking for perfect children or perfect parents, but we are looking for fathers who love their children, look to raise them well and discipline them appropriately. They care about their well-being, including their spiritual well-being. But we do understand that each child ultimately will make their own decision about whether they follow Jesus or not. Now, the reason family is so important is because the church is not an organisation run by a CEO. It's a family with fathers, mothers, brothers and sisters. That's, that's what we are. However big we get, that's what we are. And elders provide fatherly oversight and protection to the church. Now, what I'm about to say would not be a, it's not a popular teaching, but it is what the Bible teaches. It goes against our culture, but the way of scripture teaches that eldership is a role that only men can fulfill. That's what the Bible says. Not that all men are qualified to be elders. This doesn't mean that women cannot lead, preach, or pastor excellently. In actual fact, we have some incredible teachers, pastors and leaders in the church that are flourishing, that enrich us and make us so much better than we would otherwise be. There are so many good examples of it. But it does mean that a woman cannot be a father just as a man cannot be a mother. I can't be. However much I may want to be, I can't be. I'm not created that way. Having said that, and please hear me, if what I've said in the last two minutes has been really hard, and I get that what I've said may be really hard to digest and get your head round. We want to continue to effectively raise leaders across the board. Leadership is not off limits to anyone who has godly character and gift, whatever your gender, ethnicity or educational background. Secondly, blameless in character and conduct, verses 7 and 8. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. Again, the word blameless does not mean perfection, but it does mean a high level of integrity. Elders should be someone that you want to imitate. 
There's something about their lives you want to imitate. Now, this passage has both negative and positive characteristics. The negative ones we run away from, the positive ones we pursue. So if we can go on to the next slide, that would be great. So, an elder is not to be overbearing, quick-tempered, given to drunkenness, violent, or pursuing dishonest gain. If we can go for the next one, that would be brilliant. But they must be hospitable. There's something about opening family and life up. Love what is good, self-controlled. That means they're able to lead themselves. Upright, holy, and disciplined. If you're happy, just leave those up for a little while. Um, That would be great. We do not want, no leadership should abuse their authority and particularly not eldership. Elders should not be easily offended, even if they're criticised unfairly. And to be honest, anyone in leadership will get criticised unfairly at times, but, but elders are not to be easily offended. It's also interesting to note that in this list of qualifications or disqualifications, you'll, not, you'll notice that age is not there. You cannot be too old. But you cannot be too young either in that sense. But, but you need to be able to model something of this in your everyday life. And actual fact, for us here at King's, we need elders of all ages. We need elders in their 60s, their 50s and their 40s. But we actually need elders in their 30s. And I am ambitious that we should have should have elders in their 20s as well. That's what we should be aiming at for healthy church. It's not about how old you are, it's about your spiritual maturity in the faith. And what I've noticed is the older I get, the younger people seem. You know, you heard that thing about, wasn't that policeman young who stopped you for speeding? Or the doctor that you see over at the conquest, you think, I'm sure he's not out of primary school yet. And we've got to be, and I'm seriously, we've got to be careful, particularly those that might be just slightly north of 30, that you, you don't disqualify people from leadership because of their age. What we're looking for is a spiritual maturity. They may not be the best people to guide you into retirement, but they may have an anointing and a weight from God that needs to be recognised and we need within church life. Amen? Yeah? So we haven't got elders in, we haven't got people coming into eldership in that category at the moment, but that's my ambition. That's my ambition. Now, that list should really be what all of us are going for. It's, It's a reflection of a mature Christian. Imagine if leadership in society looked a little bit more like this. Good leadership is a gift from God that brings about flourishing in society. I think the problem is that there are so many examples of bad leadership in society. And sadly to say, the church is not immune. If you look at your sort of church, if you keep up to date with what's going on in the wider church scene, you'll know stuff's happened even this week. That is incredibly sad for those that were impacted by the abuse of authority that took place. It's terrible. Church, you'd want the church to be immune from it, but, but it, it isn't often. And I think that's why there are so many negative connotations around leadership. 
Because although it can be the cause of great good, it can also cause great pain. And I imagine every single one of us in this room has been hurt by church leadership. If I ask you to put your hand up, I won't. (laughs) If I ask you to put your hand up, I'm sure everyone in this room certainly has the potential to be hurt by church leadership. I have. It's, it's hard, and often is the case they're not trying to, but they have. They might have been thoughtless in what they said or how they do it, or they missed something that they shouldn't have done. It's hard. It really is hard, keeping a good heart, keeping short account, being quick to forgive, not allowing bitterness to grow. Jesus even told his 12 disciples not to lord it over each other, but to express servant leadership. And if you set your heart on Christian leadership of any form, the way into it is being a servant, and the way you stay in it is being a servant and serving one another. I, I just I try to um, be concise in what I'm saying as I as we move on. I think God's plan for eldership though does have some wise safeguards. It doesn't guarantee success, but I think it can certainly help. I think. Plurality of eldership is really important. That means more than one elder in a local church because you should hold each other accountable and you should challenge one another. And that is really, really important in leadership that there's not just sort of one person going off and doing whatever, but there's a team that, that, that are honest and open with one another. I think the fact that in Christian leadership and in eldership in particular, individual character, an individual's character is really, really important that is another safeguard, not a guarantee. But, but what, is, what, are, what are our lives like? And I think a 360 degree appointment process, basically in a sense of saying, guys, what do you think about the men we're proposing for eldership is really important. We value your input and we will feed it back to them. Do you mean? We, we want that. But also the fact we get help from outside. Dave Holden coming to be with us. He's met the guys. He's spoken at length to the guys. He, he, he knows something of them and myself, Steve and Sam feeling that it's right as well. All of these things are really important. And can I say, sorry, I, I, I am getting waylaid a little bit here. Please be cautious of ministries where leadership seems unaccountable, where it's overbearing, where maybe they're asking you for money and you don't know where it goes and you're not certain if anyone other than that individual knows where it's going Be very cautious of that sort of leadership because although it might be fine, it doesn't have the safeguards. It doesn't have the accountability. It doesn't have the plurality necessarily that will protect both you and the ministry. So please do be cautious about that. And and thirdly, it guards biblical truth. It says in Titus 1.9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose him. Elders need to hold to the trustworthy message. They don't need to be fluent in Greek, but they do do need to know the Bible, have a good understanding of it, to be able to spot the difference between truth and false teaching. They need to be able to encourage people with sound doctrine. Um, Other wisdom and techniques is great. And and there's a place for all of that. But actually, elders need to know how the the word of God can be used to encourage someone's soul. You know, when you are going through a bad time, when I'm going through the bad time, where do I turn? Well, 
I turn to friends, I turn to Chloe, I turn to God in prayer, but I turn to this. What does this book, the Bible, say about my situation? And often it doesn't tell me that circumstances will change, but he does say that I can with his grace and with his help. It says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And lastly, they're to refute those who oppose it. And Paul does that in verse 10 through to 16 in that passage we looked at. Paul refutes those who oppose sound doctrine um, very, very strongly. What other things do we find about elders? Well, here's, I won't read the passages, but I'll just quickly go through it. 1 Peter chapter 5, elders are shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Elders are under shepherds or pastors. That doesn't mean that elders do all of the pastoring, not at all. But an elder is a pastor, is a shepherd of the flock. There should be more than one elder in a church. They keep watch. They eagerly serve. They should be an example. They should not be greedy. Um, for material gain and they should expect a crown of glory from Jesus. Hebrews 13 talks about elders speaking the word of God to you and it says consider the outcome of how they are living and imitate their faith. Um, we see there that elders are appointed by God to lead the church, so lead and the church is blessed as they submit to their authority. Um, I'll say that again, sorry. Elders are appointed by God to lead and the church is blessed as they submit to their authority. They don't abuse it, but there is a blessing in, in the following. It's funny, isn't it? I feel awkward even as I say it. Like what I'm saying is something wrong and yet the Bible says it is right. And even as I'm saying it right now, you might think, oh, are you asking, are you asking me to submit to your authority, Paul? Well, no, I'm not actually mine, but the elders, yes. The Bible says there's a blessing in that. Amen? They keep watch over you and they will have to give an account. Elders keep watch over themselves and the flock there to protect the church from wolves, protect the church from those who distort the truth. Like good fathers protect the family, so elders protect the church. This should be, I think it is, but this should be a safe environment. It should be a safe place to be. It should be secure. It shouldn't be boring, but it should be safe. And I think it was Calvin who said it. I found it, wrote a paraphrase type thing down, and then can't find it again. But I think Calvin said this. Elders watch and take care of the sheep or the church while other men sleep. That's part of the role. So just as we close, we need more elders at King's. We have three at the moment and we're planning to appoint Richard and Paul into eldership in a few weeks' time. That will make five. We need more elders. God is drawing us into 1066 country to grow church and extend the kingdom. And we want elders that are staffed. We want elders that are bivocational. So that means they work a bit for the church and they work in secular. And we want 
elders who are full-time working in secular work because I believe that will give the best well-rounded eldership within the church. We want qualified, competent elders because we believe that's a key to that happening.